Welcome to Graduating Grief, a podcast designed to help you step back into living your life with joy after loss. If you're ready to move from surviving to thriving, you've come to the right place. Here's your host and inspirationista, Sherry Dunlevy. Usually on this podcast, we talk about grief from the perspective of death, losing someone we love through death. Today, we're going to be talking about grief via divorce. And what's really interesting is Michelle Oxton tells us that it was the grief that she had being in the marriage and the separation and divorce that gave her the peace of mind. Michelle is an empath coach and she helps many people reach their highest potential. She has suffered loss and with a family member, but she has also suffered loss through divorce. And this concept of the divorce and the separation actually being the freeing part, the grief was actually in the marriage. That is fascinating to me. So Michelle, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Can't wait to get started. You've got to explain this concept. Right. It's an interesting subject and it's not something that we talk about very often. I almost think it's like behind the curtain a lot of the time. In fact, this was one of the things that I struggled with inside the marriage was the shame of the feelings that I was having. So I felt like I should, you know, quote, quote, I should be happy. I had beautiful children that were healthy and, um, participating in school. I, we had no problems. Uh, we were active members in the community. I was part of the PTA. I was on the board at the um, high school and I was very unfulfilled and it had been years of unfulfillment and I tried to do everything I thought was appropriate. I worked out, I read, I ate healthy and nothing was working. And the depression that sort of sat in from that was unbelievable. Um, I have lost somebody to suicide before. And so I knew the slippery slope of depression. And it was in that, that I really realized that I needed to change something. It did take me 10 years to leave my marriage. I was married for 18 years and um, leaving my marriage was the most freeing, liberating thing I probably have ever done in my whole life. But there was a lot of shame in that as well, because I was supposed to be grieving. I was supposed to be grieving the loss. I should, again, I should be grieving the loss. And I did, but it was really inside the marriage that I grieved so that when I was ready to leave, I was so liberated. Wow. So 10 years that's, you know, and it, and it, and my healing took a lot of time as well. And so that's what I want to create in this podcast is to maybe with these lessons, with these tools, lessen that grief time, maybe provide a tool in someone's toolbox that they don't have to spend 10 years in this grief, in this suffering, in this pain. Absolutely. I mean, you know, perspective is everything right now that I look back, um, you know, there were signs even before we got married, but let's just take that out of the the game. Yeah. Right. For the sake of this conversation, really, 
I, what I learned was so much, um, so much about who I was as a person being codependent and really putting everybody else's feelings before my own. And I think when you are the primary caregiver, whether that be male or female, you do struggle with what are your, what are your own needs? How do you make yourself happy? Do you even really deserve that? I mean, we do question that we question whether, you know, does our happiness play a role in this family? Or is it just about getting the kids to school and making breakfast and having dinner on the table and providing healthy foods and doing extracurricular activities? You know, we get really caught up in everybody else's life. And then at the end of the day or early in the morning when it's quiet and you have these moments, you know, sometimes for some people, it is very unfulfilling. And there is a lot of guilt in that, especially if that's really what you wanted, which is what I wanted. I wanted to be a mother. I wanted to be a wife. I wanted all of these things. And although being a mother was unbelievably, it is my fulfillment in life still to this day, um, my marriage was not. And that the grief of not getting what you wanted when you thought your marriage would be, you thought marriage would provide you with a certain lifestyle um, was unbelievably shocking to me. And that, um, sort of led down this path. So yes, a path. So what was going through your mind at this time and how, tell me a little bit about this, this journey through this grieving process that gave you the courage to say, I, I have to do this for me. Um, well, like I said, it took many years. I sort I knew when I was pregnant with my youngest that something was off, but I was deeply in love with my husband then. I really believed in the power and the sanctity of our marriage. And um, I was raised Catholic and Jewish, so I have a lot of religious background <laughs> as well. So there was a lot of guilt with that as well. Um, and the process really took a long time because I kept pushing it away. I kept saying, oh, it'll get better. Oh, it's just a phase. You know, I kept making excuses. I, I would try to talk and have conversations and that just really didn't work at, at all. And so I was left to really process on my own. And it wasn't, in all honesty, it wasn't until I really thought, would my family be better off if I wasn't here? I did have these thoughts of maybe that's the best thing. Maybe me at this point being so depressed and just not fulfilled, I'm making everybody miserable. I was making my then husband miserable. I, you know, I was not happy. I knew my kids, my, I was good about hiding it from my kids, but you know, I wasn't the mom I think I could have been or the mom that I am now. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't until I thought that for, I really only thought it for about a minute to like 30 seconds to a minute. But even in that time where it's like life pauses and you have these grand sort of um, downloads or intuitions about thing. And I reached, started to reach out for therapy and I really did. I went into therapy with no intention of divorcing. I just went in with, I cannot make a decision. This was the number one sign to me that something was really wrong. I could not make a decision. I couldn't make a decision if I wanted, you know, what kind of tea I wanted in the morning. I'm not a coffee drinker. So if you're a coffee drinker, then what kind of coffee you wanted in the morning? I mean, I really could not make a simple, simple decision. And I knew something was really off. I, and I thought, this is very strange. How I cannot make a decision. And so I went into therapy and I sat down. I was like, I can't make a decision. Something's wrong with me. And it was through that process 
then really exploring why can't I make decisions? Because I was so codependent that I needed other people to tell me what to do. I needed somebody else to be the inspiration. I needed my kids to be the inspiration. I needed my husband to be the inspiration. I literally did not know how to be inspired on my own, of my own record. It was just, I had no idea how to do that. So that was the first big aha moment for me. Wow. And so I imagine a lot of those same thought patterns just kept going around in your head over and over and over again. That's one of the things that you specialize in now is helping people get out of those negative thought problem or thought uh, cycle. So can you offer us maybe a couple of tips of how, how we can do that? And, and is it something that is a practice or is it something that we can just click off and on, or is it through practice we can click it off and on? (laughs) I know it's actually a little of both. And I did suffer, they're called ruminating thoughts. That's like the technical term for them Mm -hmm. is ruminating thoughts, right? Where they just cycle and cycle and cycle. And there is no break in your mind. And you do, you actually experience, you can experience chronic fatigue um, from negative thought patterns. So see, these are some of the medical terms that you actually suffer from. Mm with um, negative thought patterns, depression, anxiety, um, lack of hope um, is usually another byproduct of uh, ruminating negative thought patterns. And so it is a practice. It is still a practice. If you are a trauma survivor and you're listening to this, you probably suffer from negative thought patterns. It is one of the side effects of PTSD. And I have been diagnosed with PTSD. So I did I did suffer from this quite frequently. I didn't know that then, (laughs) right? but now I do. And so some of the things that I do that really help me are very cliche and you will hear some of them, which is meditation. I do practice meditation every day. Um, It completely centers me. It keeps me grounded and it helps me push, not push back. That's not the right word. It helps me process and let go of these negative thought patterns. But some of the tools that I use that are, you can use them in the moment or in journaling or in intention setting. Anytime you do some sort of practice where you're really stopping and thinking is I ask myself six questions and you can do this anytime, anywhere. I keep them in my phone actually, because, you know, sometimes when you are at a kid's play or an event where you cannot stop and journal for a second, you sort of need a quick little tool And here are the six questions. So the first one is, what am I feeling? Like I really try to identify what am I feeling? Am I scared? Am I lonely? Am I, is it something easy? Am I just thirsty? Like sometimes it's super simple. What am I feeling right now? And then where am I feeling it? Is it in my head? Is it in my gut? Is it in my heart? You know, am I sad today? What what am I feeling and where am I feeling it? So I really try to identify where this is in my body. Um, And then I ask myself, if this could talk, if this feeling that I'm having could talk, what would it say to me right now? And this one can be a very deep because depending on what you're experiencing, it might, you can do a lot of inner child work with this. You can get really deep on this, but you don't have to too. You can keep it very simple. Um, and then I ask, um, what is it trying to teach me? Which for me is always number four. What is it trying to teach me? Mm -hmm. Always sort of makes me pause because I think a lot of time, especially when we are, 
um, survivors of anything, whether that be abuse or death or, um, you know, sickness or anything like that, we can get stuck in a victim mentality. And it is so important to really realize that even in those traumas, which took me a long time to understand that this, this is actually trying to teach me something, this feeling that I'm having, what is that teaching me? And I'm always really amazed by what I come up with, with the answer. And sometimes it's very simple. Like I'm lonely today. I need a hug. Like that one comes up quite a bit of like, I'm just feeling kind of lonely. And what it's telling me is that right now, maybe I need to spend more time with my kids. Maybe I need to have a date with my husband. It's usually something easy, which I think is such a relief because a lot of time when we're stuck in a negative thought pattern, we think it's something huge. We think it has to be this huge thing that's going to solve our problems. Mm -hmm. And really, it's usually something very simple that sort of starts the healing process. And then we begin that um, bigger work. And so then I'll ask myself, what do I need right now? And how can I do that? So those are the six things is what do I need and how can I get that? And that really does break that. It takes you out of that moment and separates the pattern. It makes your brain actually start to create new synopsis of instead of just connecting, this is the science behind it, instead of just connecting to that one thought over and over and that one firing to that one synopsis, that's all that's happening. It creates different synopsises in your brain. So it's creating a different pattern, which is huge, which is why you're trying to break it. Right. I love that. It, you know, and I, I happen to believe we are all here, spiritual beings having a human experience so that when we're having something like this, we're having these thoughts, I always try to go for the lesson or for the experience of what am I supposed to be experiencing here? How am I supposed to learn from this? Because a lot of times we learn our greatest lessons from our deepest pain. Yes. Yes. And it, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. And that's no. what I find fascinating, right? We can, I mean, I'm studying this uh, positive psychology training right now, and it is fascinating to learn that once you sort of, you know, right now we're talking about grief and trauma. And when you get through that, you don't have to wait for these moments of incredible tragedy to have a shift, which is what we're talking about, like this shift, right. In your right. life you can really start to recognize these moments without the tragedy and go, oh my gosh, this is a, this is a moment right here and create your own little shift. Yes. I, and I love that. And I'd much rather do that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'd much rather do that. So much better. But, but what I, I'd much rather do that, but I feel that through these little practices, should something tragic happen, then you are so much more equipped, better equipped to not stay in the the pain and suffering and so long, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to go through it. You have to feel it. You have to experience it. But the the rebound, you know, the bounce back or the bounce up from it can be, you know, so much higher. So much. And I think it's really, you know, I think all of us in life, we're, you know, here is where we show everybody is right here. And then here, Somewhere underneath that is the real us, right? Like this is the representative and this is the real us. But to get those two more close together is really the whole goal of life. If your drop down doesn't have to be so low, then you're coming back up isn't so hard. So if you're if you don't show everybody all of this, then when you drop, oh my gosh, coming back up takes so long. But if you can get this to sort of be a little bit smaller, the time from when you are who you are to when you're in that fixing state 
just that gap, shorten that gap, then your, your bounce back won't be as hard. I love that. Sometimes though, all these emotions that we're feeling and all these feels, it just it becomes overwhelming. How do you deal with overwhelm? And, and is there anything that you can provide us with overwhelm? Yeah. So overwhelm, this is a huge topic right now, especially in the empath community. Um, empaths are usually overwhelmed quite frequently. So this is something we talk about all the time. And um, one of the best tricks that I have learned, and I can't take credit for it, it actually was given, and I'm going to blank out on his name right now. So everybody who's listening, I'm so sorry. Um, but he was the CEO for Coca-Cola for many years. And he gave a speech about learning what your what all your little bubbles are. And you have like family, life, work, spirituality, identity. You've, you label these balls that you have, these like glass balls and rubber balls. And to identify what is a glass ball and what is a rubber ball, because the glass balls, you are not going to let those break. That's going to be like your family, yourself, your spirituality. But maybe some days you can let work go and it will bounce. And it's very important to identify in your life. What are your glass balls and what are your rubber balls? It's not like you're never going to pick up these rubber balls again. They're going to be bouncing. So we're not letting them go. And I know sometimes people think, well, I can't let go of my work that there's no way I have this deadline and this deadline, or I can't let my kids go. I, I, I cannot let them go. And in reality, when we break it down day by day, you can strategize and say, Today, my kids are going to be okay. They have these things to do. And my husband and I can go out on a date. And today, that's the glass ball that you're going to protect. And so really, it is a day-by-day -day practice of really identifying what is your glass balls today and what are your bouncing balls? What are your rubber balls? And this, just this simple task of identifying because being aware is the first step of growth, right? So mm -hmm. being aware, what, what are you juggling what are the labels that you give them and which ones can you really let go for a while? And it is good to do a visual with this. If you're really wanting a task with it to draw circles on a paper and put in, these are, you just list them all out and then you like put a star or you color, however you, you know, whatever you resonate with of these are the glass ones today. These ones I'm not going to let go. These ones have, they'll break. They won't bounce back, but these ones today I can let go for a while. Um, Go ahead, is that a daily practice? Is that a daily practice? Yes. So your glass for me it is. could be one day, could be a rubber ball the next. Yes. Like, for example, you know, some days work is a glass ball. I have things to do. I have deadlines. I have a class to teach. I Those might be a glass ball and maybe my kids are in school and so they can bounce for a while while they're in school. So I don't have to worry about that one as much. But I do arrange my schedule so that when they're out of school, then they become the glass ball. So for me at three o'clock, well, I switch and the rubber ball becomes work and the glass ball becomes my children. Cause I've always arranged my schedule so I can be with my kids. I'm fortunate enough mm -hmm. to have a career where I can do that. And so for me, it switches actually in the middle of the day. For some people, it might not be like that. Maybe it's a little different. And then there's a time at night when my husband becomes the glass ball and he's very important in spending quality time with him and being with him is the glass ball. So but the for me, it's a visual. Yes. <laughs> I love that it's a visual, but I love that you are the person responsible for choosing your glass balls, not having other people determine what your glass balls are. 
Yes. I think. And it does take practice. Yeah. In the beginning, you will have like, you, you might write down everything. You might have 50 balls on your paper and you think, oh my gosh, everything is glass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it does take a while to really learn. It is okay to let these bounce. And in the beginning, I thought, oh, I can't let that go. That's there. I cannot let that go. But the thought and the visual of it bouncing was able to help me let it just sort of bounce, you know, like mm-hmm. let it just bounce for a while and then I'll pick it up the next day. Yeah. 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 I was just thinking, I, I just had a thought that crossed my mind as you were talking is that, you know, this, this pandemic, honestly, you know, you said one time we had 50 balls, but it's really, I think that a lot of our balls have been reduced. We don't have as many because, you know, this pandemic has made it so. And it might even have made it easier to determine what are your glass and your rubber balls too. I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, I think for everybody, well, for most people, Mm -hmm. everything shifted this year of what was a priority and what was not. And it became a little bit more clear to see that there were some things that we were making priorities that maybe weren't priorities at all. And so it did the circles, the amount of circles became smaller on the paper and it became a little easier to say, these are the things that are really a priority right now. Um, and that does help with being overwhelmed because you can prioritize. Um, I do have a few other tricks. You want me to keep going? Sure. Yeah, going. I would love it. Okay. Yeah. Here's another one. This one is super easy and people love this one. It's called time blocking. Okay. And it's where you write down all your things on your paper mm-hmm. that you have your to-do list. And then you assign it, assign an amount of time to them. So you will have all of your things listed. And then you give each of them a time. And sometimes it's five minutes. I always say, include yourself in there. Even Mm -hmm. if it is five minutes of reading a book in the pantry or five minutes, like taking a shower, like make sure yourself is on this list. Cause a lot of times we leave ourselves out. And then at the end of the day, we're feeling that overwhelmed and we do feel Mm -hmm. like we don't know how to take care of ourselves. So it is about saying, okay, I can't do everything, but I'm going to choose these things here. I'm going to circle these things that are, are more of a priority today. And I'm going to spend, like, I do this with one client, um, 10 minutes cleaning the coffee table, like Mm -hmm. the coffee table just completely overwhelms her. She's like, nope. I can't do the coffee table, but I can do the coffee table for five minutes. So sometimes when we break it down into these small little tiny mm-hmm. steps, I always say, make it a step that you'd be embarrassed to tell people you didn't do. Mm-hmm. Like if it's one minute, if all you can do is one minute, like, oh, I'd be so embarrassed to tell people I didn't do one minute. <laughs> yeah. Then you do one minute of something. And so, right. so for some people who like to be more of a list and a task organizer, then time blocking is really good where you can just assign a certain amount of time to that. And that every day chipping away gives you that feeling. And on that list, the second step of this is to start with the two things that are 80% of your to-do list. So start with those two, because the sooner you get those off, you will have so much more time. Right. And time for things that, that you enjoy perhaps. So that's wonderful. So one other thing I want to talk about before our time together um, is at an end, and that is boundary setting, because I know a lot of times is we are trying to heal or the way we're trying to heal or the way that we grieve. um, Someone else has an opinion about it a lot of times, (laughs) or someone thinks that they know us better, or they know what's best for us, or has a problem or an issue with the way we're doing things. Um, So 
boundary setting is is really key to to healing and stepping back into your joy again is it not absolutely i mean really boundary setting is being able to create space so that you can have some peace and very often when we are in grief we have very little peace as it is we probably don't know what peace feels like for a very long time it takes us a long time to find that peace And you're right. I mean, people do have an opinion about how you grieve and the way you grieve and how long you did it for. I mean, I don't know why that one is such a question. That's so weird. (laughs) Um, It's so weird. And I feel like too, there's different types of deaths. You know, there's a different grieving process with different kinds of deaths. And although we're under this umbrella of death, you know, a suicide death is different than the loss of a child. And maybe it's a child from suicide. I mean, there are different types of grief, maybe a surprised, a prolonged, there's different, you know, there's a different feeling. I think, you know, if I'm just speaking about my own personal experiences, I know when my grandmother passed, there was a long process to her, her death and there was some relief in that and there's guilt with that. And so maybe you have guilt first instead of grieving and people don't understand that and setting boundaries I think is so important because it does really allow you to say to have one to take back some control of your life because you feel like things are so out of control and you had no control you had no say of an outcome you know I think that is one of the hardest things about death is you know you have to learn how to be okay with an outcome that you would not have chosen this was not something you would choose and how do you how do you how do you get to a place where you're okay with that? It almost sounds disrespectful when you say it, but there is this process of being able to say, this does not serve me right now. And that's the number one question I say to people when we're learning how to set boundaries is ask yourself, does this serve me right now? Right now, because a lot of the times it's a text, it's a phone call, it's an email. And if the answer is no, then you create that space. You buy yourself some time. Part of knowing what your boundaries are, though, is knowing what your triggers are. So if you know you are triggered by text, text messages that are coming in, how are you today? What happened? Depending on what stage of grief you're in, you know, if you're in the beginning and there's a lot of, are you okay? What happened? Um, Or you're in a different phase and maybe it's quiet. Sometimes there's that quiet period after the whole, you know, funeral and the, the, the excitement of death that has toned down. And then there's this loneliness that sets in and how do you deal with that? So knowing what your triggers are, you know, if, if people really ask you too much, learning to have a saying for yourself that says, you know, I'm not comfortable talking about that yet, or what resonates with you. You know, I appreciate your concern. I'm still just, you know, in the phase where I'm not ready yet, or, you know, having something that resonates for you so that you buy yourself these times. So the first thing of setting boundaries is to really know what your triggers are. And that is really being aware. And right. sometimes when you're in grief, being aware is very challenging, but I tell people easy things, text yourself, If you're out and about and something triggered you, text yourself and say, I was at the store and this woman, you know, a stranger asked me about what happened. That's a trigger. So maybe I don't go to the store at that time anymore. So maybe that's my boundary. Maybe instead of going to the store at three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going to go to the store at, um, you know, eight o'clock at night when there's not a lot of people. Maybe the grocery store is a trigger. I know grocery stores are a lot of triggers for a lot of people, but knowing that, And then when you create that peace, 
being able to provide yourself with that peace allows you space to sort of heal and then learn how to take some power back. That comes in time of like, how do I get that power back? Saying no, big boundary, learn how to say no. (laughs) Well, and I think that you have to set boundaries too for what thoughts you allow, you know, your own thoughts. You can be your own worst enemy at times. And so does this serve me? Does this thought really serve me right now? If it doesn't, then you have to let it go right? You have to let mm-hmm. it go and, and, and come up with something else. Michelle, these have been um, wonderful tips, wonderful tools to put in our toolbox, whether any kind of loss that we're, we're going through. These are really valuable tools that, that we can use to help move us back towards our path of living, really living our life and, and finding our joy again. So Thank you very much for for joining us today. How can people find you? The best way to find me is at my website as cloud9, the number nine, Mm -hmm. lifecoaching.com. And everything actually is on my website. You can email me there, the classes I offer, the support services that I offer. I do have support groups. Um, Everything is there. And so that's the best way, cloud9, cloud the number nine at... Um, yeah, life coaching. Thank you, Michelle, so much. It was so great talking with you today. Thank you, Sherry, so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Graduating Grief Podcast. For more information on the Graduating Grief community, workshops, and retreats, go to www.sherrydunlevy.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, and share.